Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights Podcast, where we talk about interesting recent work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. All right, today for our episode, we have as guests with us Alison Edinger and Suta Rao, who are PhD students at the University of Maryland, College Park. Suta works with Hal Delmay, and Alison works with Colin Phillips and Philip Resnick. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Today we'll be talking about a workshop that they co-organized with Hal and Emily Bender, and it was titled Towards Ling or at least the paper that they wrote is titled Towards Linguistically Generalizable NLP Systems, a workshop and shared task. So can you tell us about uh, what the motivation is for this workshop that you, that you organized? Yeah, so um, the idea here, this grew out of a, a panel discussion at ACL uh, last year, and what came up in that panel discussion uh, among these these discussants was that the, while NLP systems are very strong on the evaluation metrics that we have available to us, um, everyone basically recognizes that they're also very brittle, much more brittle than, say, a human language speaker. Um, and that if we were to put in a little bit of effort to create an adversarial example, we would easily be able to break these systems that are very strong in the metrics that are standard. Um, so out of this grew the idea to actually do a shared task where we engage both NLP researchers and linguists, um, or anyone else who's interested in creating adversarial examples, and uh, see what we can actually learn by creating these types of examples that will break systems and actually tell us about where those limitations are in the systems that are the source of this brittleness. And uh, what, what kind of uh, problems were you interested in looking at uh, for this? Because it seems to me that maybe the kind of mistakes uh, your models would be doing are different depending on the task. So we, we, we considered a few bit of tasks like um, the usual uh, NLP tasks like machine translation. Um, but the problem with those are um, the models right now themselves are very brittle already. Their scores are really low in machine translation except for the well-known languages, they don't perform uh, quite well. So we wanted to pick a task which is known to have to do well uh, and try to see if we can break that particular um, task. Uh, so that's why we one of the things we chose was sentiment analysis because it's a fairly easy task and uh, getting high score on, on some data sets for those tasks uh, was much easier than, say, machine translation. So why do you think the systems are, are so brittle? Is it because of some problem with our training data or what? what's the cause of this? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I think that there is not going to be any single source. I think there's gonna be a number of sources uh, in the end, but one of the goals of this workshop was exactly to try to get a more precise sense of what the sources of, of that brittleness exactly are. Um, so I think that absolutely it, it could be a matter of training data, it can be a matter of you know system architectures and evaluation metrics that tell us that systems are doing well. I think it's really a combination of things. Um, and yeah, the, the goal here is to try to zero in on certain aspects of, of what those problems are. Uh, in your paper describing this, um, you mentioned that <clears throat> maybe this is a problem with the traditional Independent, independent and identically distributed model of, of training these systems. Can you describe what you mean uh, by that? Yeah, the, that comment in the paper wasn't 
exactly meant to pick on the IED assumption per se, so much as to point out that the standard approach that's taken in applying machine learning to NLP um, results in systems that do very well in certain conditions and don't generalize necessarily to other conditions and certainly don't generalize as well as humans are able to with data that they may not yet have been exposed to. Yeah. And so if, if we can then come up with some good set of training examples that that really teach systems to handle rare, it, what, what a person might consider rare or unusual linguistic phenomena, would this solve our problems? I, I think it's, uh, to a certain extent it would be, but the uh, caveat there is that is very hard to, to identify, like how would you identify what are the rare cases unless you actually look at the data and try to segregate them to be rare and uh, and frequently occurring, right? So uh, it, it, the issue is naturally occurring data has this distribution of a, a long tail and we want to tackle that, um, that problem by, by sort of doing something on the model side because we cannot do a lot of thing on the data side. Um, so for listeners who may not have read this paper or thought too much about this problem, can you give a, a quick example of like a, something in say sentiment analysis, the task you're looking at, where a system might be particularly brittle or susceptible to like some crazy linguistic problem? Yeah, so we can take a look at specifically the example that we gave in the paper for sentiment analysis. Um, we have a, a positive sentiment example of I love this movie. And then we have another positive sentiment example, which has been slightly changed, which is I'm mad for this movie, which we anticipate may throw systems off in that mad may be a, a lexical item that's associated with negative sentiment. Great. Um, so I, I guess this brings us then <clears throat> to uh, your workshop, right? The, the point was to try to characterize some of these issues. So can you tell us more about what the, what the workshop was actually like, what you did? Uh, in the uh, workshop, it was actually inspired by um, a workshop in programming language land uh, or software security land called as Build It, Break It, where the idea is you have two sets of participants. You have builders and breakers. The builders would build systems and the breakers would try to come up with test cases that would break the system. So inspired by that idea, um, our, one of our authors, um, my advisor, had suggested that why don't we do a language edition of it? So we call our, our shared task, build it, break it, the language edition, where the idea is, again, we have two sets of participants. Builders would build systems for a specific NLP task, and the breakers would come up with test cases that could potentially break that particular NLP system. So in, in a real-life real scenario, uh, there might be actually like uh, uh, more, more iterations of this, right? So someone builds a system, and... Uh, a bunch of people try to break it, and then the other person tries to improve their system. Uh, but in the workshop, we focus on one iteration of, of this. Is that right? Yes, exactly. So in the in the programming language uh, for um, shared tasks, the idea was build it, break it, fix it. So there was a third phase in which the builders would come back and look at the cases that broke their system and rebuild their system to fix it. But yes, as you pointed out, we only focused on the first part um, of the of the thing of just building and breaking um, um, because coming rebuilding the system to fix it, it is not trivial. It cannot be done uh, in like a few days time or a few weeks time. It would probably take another uh, year or so. So that's why the we focused only on the first aspect of it. 
and NLP is a really broad field and there are a whole lot of different things you could look at this in. So how did you pick which um, tasks to focus on? Yeah, so we had a couple of considerations in selecting the tasks. Um, one of the important things for us was, was that we wanted these tasks to be ones that really uh, got at more or less core fundamental uh, language comprehension and would require systems to do a fair amount of deep esque processing in order to, uh, to to do the task well. This is the the one of the most important goals for the to allow the breakers to target interesting aspects of of natural language processing. Um, another logistical constraint, though, is wanting to make sure that there are enough people who will participate in the task and submit systems and submit breaking examples, uh, you know, to, to get traction. And finally, as Suda mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, another consideration was uh, that it's helpful that to make the point if the system, if we believe that this is a task on which we're doing well currently. Um, so uh, the two latter considerations were the primary considerations in using sentiment. There are a lot of sentiment systems out there. Uh, it, there was low barrier to participation and it's a, a task that we do fairly well on standard metrics. Um, and then the QASRL, the semantic role labeling based on question answering task um, was more driven by the first consideration of wanting to have something that gets at this, uh, these deeper levels of processing. Right, predicate ar argument structure is pretty core and easy to easy to mess up. Right, and uh, it's clear that uh, like based on the participation level for the first task, it's uh, it's clear that the consideration of making sure it's there is no barrier to entry was an important one. So uh, I'm glad you did that. Yeah, exactly. Were there any other tasks you thought about? Yeah, there were several. I. Can't remember exactly what yeah, they were. I, we considered, uh, I think, um, entailment task, and textual entailment task. Um, uh, we considered machine translation. Uh, we we didn't think of um, uh, reading comprehension based task. That is something that now that we think back um, could be something that we could do for our next iteration. Um, since there are already people thinking about coming up with adversarial uh, cases for that particular uh, example, but uh, for that task. Um, so the, cons the reasons we sort of um, um, filtered some of the other tasks out was basically from the aspect of, as I told before, whether um, we think that there is an system, existing system that does really well uh, that we could try to break. Yeah. I guess the way that QRL is QASRL is formulated, it's essentially the same task as uh, what people are calling reading comprehension today. So, yeah, definitely a lot of overlap. Right. Interesting. Um, also, what you said entailment that made me think of. Um, so we uh, a couple of months ago released this library, Allen NLP, with a demo of of reference implementations of some models, including a popular entailment model, and people promptly tore it apart. So uh, I sympathize with, with the motivation of this workshop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, that to, there's a certain factor there where people just want to, you know, break systems for fun. But I think there's also a sense in which people see systems submitted um, that supposedly are doing well, and they feel that there is a brittle, an underlying brittleness that isn't being exposed with the the standard metrics or whatever examples are being given. Um, and so the idea there is really, I think for some people, very similar to the motivation of the workshop where they say, well, 
I suspect that this system is not going to be able to handle this type of thing. Uh, I think that it's probably relying on this type of heuristic rather than deep processing. And, and based on that reasoning, I think it's not going to be able to handle this example. And they'll submit examples of that kind. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, the, the reason that I really like the demos of reference implementations that we're working on, it, it's, it's like the exact same motivation for what you're doing. It's so, so that we can find where these systems break and like get, give the researcher uh, an easy way to interact with the system and figure out where it where it breaks and how to improve it. So, yes, I, I definitely agree. So, I guess the next thing to talk about is uh, who participated and what like what was the the outcome of of this workshop. Uh, so we had. Um, so, so we had two tasks, the sentiment analysis and the QASRL. For the sentiment analysis, we got uh, three systems uh, participate um, in the building uh, side. And in the breaking side, we had four systems, four teams participate. For the uh, builder, uh, on the builder side, we had three outside participation. And in, in, in addition to that, we also submitted three of our own systems, uh, which by own, I mean that we picked up some existing uh, models that is known to do well on these tasks. And we sort of got their implementation or re-implemented those uh, and tested these um, against the breaker teams. So we had six teams in all for the from the building side and four external breaker teams participate from the breaking side. Are there any qualitative differences that you can uh, like mention uh, about like that between the six uh, systems? Yeah, so there was a variety of systems. Um, we had one submitted that was just ngram based. We had some uh, convolutional neural network systems. In fact, that system was both a builder and a breaker system which is interesting. And uh, then our uh, one created by one of our organizers was Bag of Ngram. And uh, we had the um, recursive neural tensor network. There was actually quite a lot in terms of qualitative differences between the systems. Um, we, we spanned a fairly large variety. But it, it sounds like none of these were purpose built to try to tackle any kind of like robustness to language. It was just the typical, like all, all of these sound like things I would just read in any any typical conference paper, right? Nothing was, was purpose-built for this workshop? A couple of them were specifically built for this workshop. The uh, the first Engram one that I mentioned was, though it was it was built as a straw man model. Um, the, the CNN model from University of Melbourne was uh, specifically built for this workshop. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean like they, they wrote, like, say, new code or new implementation of something. It's, it's just like these are all standard kinds of models and nothing that, that thinks particularly hard about generalization to or robustness to linguistic phenomena, right? Yeah, yeah, to the extent that standard models don't necessarily give thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, and about the, the breakers? Uh, so the breakers, we had, um, we had four teams and uh, three of them were focused on coming up with uh, test cases that are uh, manually um, chosen. Uh, so they uh, targeted some linguistic phenomena um, and then uh, modified the, the example. So for the, for the listeners, the way the breakers were supposed to come up with uh, test cases were, uh, were the following. They were given a sentence, they were given a bunch of sentences and they were to pick a sentence from that and minimally modify it to create a pair. Uh, of original and modified sentence, and um, that would be their uh, test case that they would submit. So 
the way uh, most teams or three out of four teams created the test cases were by mod manually modifying to, uh, the original sentence to get the minimal pair. Uh, one team, uh, interestingly, did this automatically uh, by building a model to create these uh, modified uh, pairs to the original sentence. So I'm curious, uh, how do you make sure that the examples automatically generated? I guess even the manually generated ones are not are correct because like there might be like you know gaming the system and gaming the uh, the workshop by providing a wrong label for it. Yeah, this is a definitely a legitimate concern and was one that we did not pay a lot of attention to in this iteration. We in the uh, discussion section of the paper we point this specifically out as something that we would like to uh, constrain more in the next iteration. Uh, in terms of the fact that we gave a lot of leeway to breakers in terms of labeling examples and exactly how they interpreted the definition of minimal pair, you know, making a minimal change to a sentence. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, in order to have sort of a greater level of control over that and preventing people from gaining the system in the way that you just described, that's definitely something that is on our radar now. So I know that I talked, like I took a bunch of linguistics classes in in college and grad school. Uh, though my degree is not in linguistics, but let, so I'm, I've been exposed to this idea of minimal pair uh, quite a bit. But I imagine a lot of our listeners haven't. Could you describe what this is and why you chose to ha use minimal pairs for your breakers? Yeah. So the concept of minimal pair in linguistics and the concept of minimal pair that we were employing here uh, is questionably equivalent. But f for f for the sake of, of defining both, um, minimal pair linguistics, we use this to, uh, to identify things that create meaningful changes in language. Um, so, um, for instance, we know that bat and cat are different words, and likewise that b and k are different, meaningfully different sounds, right? So, this is, this is from the linguistics perspective, how we often think about minimal pairs. From our perspective, um, there's a lot of overlap in terms of the motivation there, um, but there's a slightly different aspect to what we were doing in that the point here was that we wanted to zero in on uh, limitations of the system. So something that we haven't mentioned yet is that the this more specific goal in using those minimal pairs and, and the goals that we gave to the breakers was that we wanted them, first of all, to um, make a change such that one item in the pair w the system would make a successful prediction on and one item in the pair the system would make an unsuccessful prediction on so that we actually identify a boundary in the system. And the other goal is that the change would be small enough and targeted enough that when we see the system go from being able to make a correct prediction to being unable to make a correct prediction, we're actually able to identify what about the change caused that that failure, the change in the success of the system. Um, so in trying to identify minimal, minimal pairs here, we're more focused on that and saying, your goal in making this minimal change should be to make it so the system will no longer succeed, or it can also go in the other direction, make it so the system will succeed on, on an example that it previously was not succeeding on. Um, but we want this change, we want you to know, preferably, what you will conclude about the system based on that change in, in performance uh, across those two examples. So 
we had a lot of discussion about exactly how we should define minimal pairs, you know, what sorts of things are permissible, certainly you know, changing one word, but can you change order? And it, it became very difficult to constrain this and define this in a very concrete way um, because we didn't necessarily want to limit people in a way that would prevent them from identifying interesting uh, phenomena, but also having a complete lack of constraint uh, results in potentially having examples that that really don't get at what we had in mind. So so yeah, our our definition of minimal pair for the purpose of this workshop was really based in the goal of creating breaking examples that would that would help us to identify limitations. Yeah, that's a really great articulation of that, uh, and it drives uh, Walid's point a little bit. I think that uh, I guess people in the ML community are thinking a lot about generative adversarial networks and adversarial examples and how can we break systems automatically. The problem with that, though, from your workshop's perspective, is that it doesn't give us any insight into why, right? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, uh, what was the result? How how did these workshops? How did these participants do? So, uh, we had a couple of levels of analysis. First, we just had in aggregate, you know, how we had some scores that allowed us to see which teams did the best, so to speak, um, and. What we found as general trends with the breakers in particular was that the, the manual examples were much more successful in breaking the systems overall than were the automatically generated examples. Um, That's actually surprising because uh, at, at least thinking about like um, adversarial example is in like CNNs, whatever, where you like can just change a single pixel value and all like all you have to do is, is given a gradient, like you can optimize your your input to make the system fail. It seems like it would be trivial for a system to learn to make these other learned systems fail using these automatic methods. Why, why do you think that the manual systems actually worked better? Uh, so I think for the, the, what you just mentioned was for vision task, for the language task, this minimal change itself is difficult because um, in language world, uh, things are discrete whereas in the vision world, things are more continuous. So in discrete form, it's hard to define if I change a word minimally, what is the next word that will come to, right? So it's very difficult to identify this form of minimal change. Uh, and that's why it's more uh, difficult also for these generative adversarial networks to sort of uh, show um, they, they work well for the language task. So I think that's, that's the sort of difficulty. And um, as you pointed out, um, there have been some previous work in which people try to uh, come up with these adversarial um, uh, scenarios. Uh, for example, for the reading comprehension task, there, there was a paper in which they uh, sort of added a new sentence to the original passage, such that now this models would uh, incorrectly identify the new sentence to be the answer, just because there was a lot of lexical overlap between the question and the um, incorrectly added sentence. But, um, um, but the, the the reason I would say that this this sort of workshop um, is, is slightly different and better is because, um, as Alison said before, we want to uh, not postdocly analyze what is the thing that caused the system to break, but sort of to motivate the the adversarial uh, addition by some linguistic phenomena, such that when you modify your uh, original sentence, uh, you know what you're intending to do when you, when the system breaks. So there's a bit of detail that I'm missing here. Uh, are the breakers, do the breakers have access to the, all this, the, the system, the builders, the builder systems, or they do not? 
No. So the breakers don't have access to the original system. Uh, all they have access to is the uh, the performance of the builder systems on the dev set. So that you wouldn't be able to optimize your breaker uh, like you would. Okay. Yeah. That 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 is a, a an important difference. Yes. But you could imagine in a in a, in a in a different kind of setup where you actually have interactive capabilities with the system. Maybe you'd actually get a, a better intuition for what the model is doing and be, be better able to target um, these adversarial examples, both on the linguistic side and the automatic side. Yeah, agreed. But, but it, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I was, no, it was a different detail. So, so was mine. Uh, well, I was going to ask how, how many examples does a breaker have to come up with in order to participate? So we, we, um, we expected 50 to 100 um, sentences from the breaker side at least and uh, most systems submitted at least 50. Uh, one system submitted 100 uh, test cases um, uh, but this was our idea 50 to 100 test cases. And uh, I guess it is, it is encouraging then that linguists still understand how systems break better than systems can break systems, right? So uh, I guess I interrupted you a while ago on when you were telling us about the results. So you want to continue telling us about, about what happened? Sure, yeah. yeah. So, so like I said, in aggregate, we see that the, the manual breaker teams do outperform the, uh, the automatic breaker teams. And then we went to a couple levels of finer grained analysis, uh, working toward the actual goal, you know, really where the power is with this workshop, in term, which is specific item-wise breaking, uh, because what we're interested in is these specific phenomena that a given example will target. Um, so in the paper, we also have this breakdown by um, system and breaker team, and we do see some interesting variation uh, in terms of those interactions, though uh, we, we don't have any specific interpretations of those as yet. Uh, but moving on to the, the item-based results, we do have a couple of specific examples. We pulled out some, some interesting ones where people changed things like um, specific phrases or changing something like emotional power to emotional pain. Um, and we started seeing some interesting divergences between the systems, some of which were predictable and some of which were slightly less easy to interpret. But um, the examples that we pulled out for the paper uh, were the ones where we were able to identify in an interesting way what we think the change is, why we think the change is causing problem for the systems and which systems were able to handle and which systems were not. And this kind of fine-grained analysis where we look at an item based level is exactly the type of thing that we were trying to get at with with this workshop was to say, okay, target something specific. Now let's see if your hypothesis that it will break the system is correct. Any high level takeaways uh, from this work? Like what, what did you learn from running the workshop? Right, so there were a uh, um, number of uh, lessons that we learned, some things that would be useful for the future as well. So um, we didn't so for the sentiment analysis, we, we got a, a small amount of participation, but for the QASRL, we didn't get. We had only one breaker team participation, and we built our own one builder system, but we didn't get any builder participation. So uh, there's one lesson that the choice of NLP task is very important, and uh, to in order to increase the number of participation, one 
one sort of an idea would be to pair up with an existing shared task. So in NLP land, there's already a lot of shared tasks out there, and we can if we can add a breaking phase uh, to the existing uh, shared task, that would just increase the number of participation. Because there was a lot of interest amongst breakers, because I think there is a lower barrier to entry for the breakers. All they have to do is come up with the test cases. But for the builder systems, if they have to build a system from scratch just for this task, it's a much uh, a higher barrier. So that was an important lesson. And the other is, um, uh, as we discussed before, we need to sort of uh, do some sort of analysis on the labels that are being assigned by the breaker teams and also the minimal pairs that are being created by the breaker teams to sort of ensure that these um, uh, these agree to the constraints that we have put forth uh, and the, the labels are, are sort of correct. So what we, we want to plan to do the next time is sort of have some crowdsourcing level of uh, uh, checking on these labels uh, and also on the minimal pairs that the breakers create to ensure that they meet the uh, constraints that we, we have for our task. Um, and the other thing is um, we uh, the notion of creating minimal pair itself was not clear and a uh, lot of minimal a uh, lot of the pairs created did not confirm to this uh, to this requirement of minimal pair. Uh, some of them were uh, variations that were much more than a certain lexical level. There were some scrambling of the words and so on. So we want to restrain on those kinds of uh, high vari variations in creating the minimal pair. Um, and another interesting thing to try would be to um, whether we should allow the breakers to come up with uh, their minimal pairs on their own. So this time what we did is we gave them a bunch of sentences and they were supposed to pick one from them and minimally change them. But uh, this sort of constrains them in aspect of what sorts of linguistic phenomena that they want to target. So if they were given the liberty of coming up with their pairs on their own, with no uh, starting point, then maybe they would be able to uh, sort of target some more interesting phenomena. Uh, and the other thing uh, related to that would be um, have some sort of these categories uh, predefined that you want to target. Suppose these are some five linguistic theories or uh, phenomena that you want to, ta uh, to target and then uh, bin your uh, minimal pairs within those categories so that later on when you do the analysis uh, on the model side, you would understand, okay, all these sort of uh, all the items in this bin failed saying that this is a, this aspect cannot be handled well by this builder system. So that sort of analysis will be uh, more easy uh, for us to do. Yeah, yeah. I, one thing I want to add is that one of the difficulties in defining minimal pairs is that we don't necessarily want to limit people to making purely lexical changes, but we do want to limit people to making targeted changes that, uh, you know, change one specific thing that we want to check. So that's really where the challenge is there, but it doesn't necessarily need to be that people are just changing a single word since that's limited in what it's able to to, to target. Um, and yeah, exactly, agreed. We want to have more examples, a, a group of examples that target a given thing so that rather than saying, oh, on this specific example, systems broke, and trying to draw broad conclusions from that, we want to be able to have a set of examples that target a given thing so that we can ensure that it's going to generalize the conclusion. So it sounds to me like the, the motivation for this workshop was our systems are brittle, they don't generalize well to, to linguistic phenomena. Like th this is like an intuitive well-known fact among serious NLP researchers. Uh, 
except it's not really quantified in any particular way and you wanted to quantify it and show in, in what areas um, things break. And from the lessons you, you just told us about, it sounds like uh, this was an experiment trying to get there, but the next iteration might do a better job of actually categorizing the things, um, like g give concrete actionable advice for NLP researchers for what to do next. Yeah, that's absolutely the goal that we're working toward, and there are definitely lessons learned in moving forward to be more effective in doing that. And absolutely, as you mentioned, we didn't have a fixing phase, and as Suda pointed out, it's non-trivial to do the fixing phase. Um, but the fixing phase is really what we hope to contribute through this workshop is to say, here's where the limitations are, here are, just like you said, actionable suggestions that we can make, guided, guided suggestions for improving these systems and making them more generalizable. So my last question is, how do we incentivize more people to participate, uh, both as builders and breakers? Um, as a scientist, I have limited time. Uh, this is very interesting, but I also need to, you know, to get some uh, progress in my research, which may not align very well with with the purpose of the workshop. So one thing that we realized uh, also led to low participation was not knowing about the shared task. Uh, so when we create, after we had the uh, shared task, a lot of people came up to us and they said that they didn't know about this. So sort of advertising uh, about um, our shared task would be really helpful. And thanks to your invitation, maybe this podcast will also help uh, people know about our shared task uh, more. So um, yeah, so that would be uh, one way advertising more about it. And the other is as I before just to lower the barrier of entry to pair up with an existing shared task so that we just have um, to have some breakers come up with uh, and participate in, 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 our, in our task. Yeah, we did of course also have breakers who said, oh yeah, I heard about that. Um, I was really interested in it. I just didn't end up doing it. And so we asked people who said this, you know, well, what were the reasons and what would incentivize you, as, as you asked, uh, what would incentivize you to do this? Um, we didn't have a, an entirely clear takeaway on what would solve this problem for us, but I think there are a number of approaches that we can potentially take, including um, defining the task a little bit better, increasing the timeline from what it was. Um, there, were, there was at least one breaker team that worked in a large team of people such that the work is distributed across those people. I know that multiple people had that idea. Because um, as Suda said, if we team up with a shared task, we're reducing the the burden on the builders, but the breakers, it doesn't necessarily solve anything for them. And to the extent that that's a, a difficult thing for them to put time into, we certainly would like to reduce that for them. And we're of course open to any suggestions from from folks in terms of things that would make it easier because we absolutely would like to increase and encourage uh, participation from both builders and breakers so that we can get the, the best outcomes out of this um, that we can. Do you need builders at all? Why not just use reference implementations of particular models that, that are popular or well-performant? Yeah, no, that's a great question um, and one that has come up before. And absolutely, this is an approach that we could take. We could just take existing. Obviously, we did take some uh, systems that were available to increase the number of systems that we were using. Um, our main idea in continuing to try to sort of actively engage builders is just to I, I, I suggested what I'm about to say already. We want to have people actively engaged in this rather than just passively having their systems used and broken, um, which is a little bit less of a positive type of uh, 
community activity than, than having people say, all right, wait, I think this uh, system might be able to be more robust to the types of adversarial examples you're going to uh, submit, um, and having people be actively engaging like that together um, rather than it, it, there's a bit more of a negative component to us taking systems that didn't necessarily expect to have this sort of um, submission and uh, and just saying oh well this system isn't as good as it, it, it thought it was you know so um, yeah just just having that kind of active engagement from the builders is great but absolutely it's also an option for us to just take existing systems and see how they do on these new data sets yeah I, I guess I have two thoughts there one is that if you were to do this with my model like I've, I've published some semantic parsing and some question answering models. If you were to, to take my model and show me what it does wrong so I can make it better, I would love that. Like, I, I, I think, I think any, any researcher who wants to build good systems would really appreciate efforts to show us where they're breaking and how to make them better. So I, I, I agree that yes, it sounds a little bit more negative, but actually really you should be excited to have people look at your system seriously. Um, and second, we're, uh, here at AI2, we're building this system, Allen NLP, where our, our explicit goal is to have rep reference implementations that help people study things and easy interactive demos. And if you're interested and would like, like I'd be happy to work with you. Um, so we provide reference implementations and make this process a lot easier just to suggest in throwing it out there. Sounds great. We're, we're really glad to hear that take on things, uh, especially since obviously anything that reduces the, the barrier to getting more systems and testing more systems is awesome for us. So yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we should talk more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And any, any last thoughts? Um, just for the listeners, if you got interested uh, in this, you should participate in our next iteration. Uh, we don't know when and uh, where we'll be doing this, but um, yeah, I hope we'll have a second iteration and we're hoping more participation in that. Awesome. Thank you very much for uh, joining us for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us.